ora and welcome to Cancer Conversations with me, Helen King, journalist and cancer survivor, brought to you by Look Good, Feel Better and Dry July. Hello and welcome back to Cancer Conversations, the podcast you never thought you'd need for the diagnosis you never want to hear. If you haven't already, go back and listen to the first four episodes. We've covered topics like regaining your identity, talking about your emotions, cancer and exercise, and how to get through the roller coaster that is cancer. I'm excited for today's episode because it's probably been my favorite conversation. I mean, all of them have been good. I just really clicked with my guest. Sarah Hodgkitz joined me to talk about going back to work after a cancer diagnosis. We're quite similar people and before cancer, work was everything to us. It was our identity, how we created self-esteem. It was where we socialized. And we've both been on a benefit during cancer treatment. So we talked about the challenges that brings and going back to work after you've had this huge experience that just changes you. If you love this episode, hit the like button, subscribe and share with anyone who you think might benefit from raw and honest discussions about cancer. Now let's welcome Sarah to the podcast. So welcome Sarah, thank you for joining me on this balmy Saturday morning. It's very hot isn't it, but then I perspire Mm. profusely anyway all the time, so... At least we can blame it on the re- the weather now. I do too. And so I feel I'm, we're both sitting here and I feel like I'm trying not to move too much because I am a sweaty, sweaty woman. Same. Yeah. So I feel like we're in good company. We're glowing together. <laughs> <laughs> I think horses sweat. Yeah. Men perspire and women glow. We do. My skin looked quite good during chemo. And apparently yes. it's a thing because it's regenerating cells, isn't it? Yeah, I, I looked, looked amazing. Radiant. I yeah. felt terrible, but and had no hair. But apart from that, the skin was great. Yeah, it was amazing. I looked a little bit like those aliens out of Cocoon, that eighties oh, movie, and yeah. when they appear at the end. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, we are, we're not here to talk about eighties movies. Although I could, Sarah and I have both fairly recently in the past, I guess, year gone back into full-time jobs which for a lot of people is one of the milestones I think after treatment how to transition back into work or many of us actually have to keep working so we are going to talk about our experiences and the challenges and how we handle them but before that tell me about who was Sarah before cancer let's see well I was 45 years old, working full-time, single parent, sole care of my child, loved my career. It's all I could do. Work was everything to me because it defined me, because I didn't have anyone else to help me with childcare and things, and and I didn't want to be a stay-at-home mum because I couldn't afford to. So, yeah, my, my work was really important. It was my social life. It was my everything, really. To my detriment (laughs) but yeah it was very important to me but before I'd been diagnosed I had found that I was finding work quite hard and that I was really tired all the time very fatigued 
something wasn't quite right. But yeah, that's retrospect though, isn't it? So I'd actually resigned. I'd actually given my notice in. And on the day that I gave my notice in, I got a call from the breast screening peeps saying, hey, do you want to come back in? We found something on your mammogram, nothing to be worried about. And I remember saying, gosh, who'd have thought it? The day I resign to go and explore, I thought I, thought I might go back to the UK for a bit because I'd been over here for like 23 years by then and I'll just try something different. Uh, yeah, the day, within like half an hour of me handing <laughs> in my resignation. But I thought, what's the likelihood of it being anything? Oh, I'll be fine. But yeah. So I'd already made a decision to change my career, but not to actually leave work forever. <laughs> it's crazy when cancer hits because I feel it was sort of similar to for me. I found the lump the day before I started a new job. Really? Yeah. And so two weeks into this new job, I was being diagnosed with aggressive breast cancer. And, and so I, I just really relate to that what you're describing there of being at a time in your life where you think actually maybe I want something different maybe I want to travel maybe I want to take time out and go back to go back to the UK or or whatever it is for you at that time and then life goes no no (laughs) I'm sorry that's not going to happen because that only happens in films doesn't happen in real life does it absolutely You go from having a full-time income, and I think so many people, and especially women, are going to relate to that idea of your work being your identity. I mean, I certainly do. That really resonates with me. And you go from that to being thrown into the cancer world where it's tests and diagnosis and operations and your whole life changing. But it wasn't only that I know in your case, in my case as well, where all of a sudden you're also on a benefit. Yeah. And that benefit doesn't cover anything. Yeah. I mean, I look back now and I'm I get quite cross that I have worked so hard for my li- in my life. We're of the generation that we were told we could do anything. And so that's why we had careers and we worked long hours. And we don't fit into that stereotype of hard bitchy career women with massive shoulder pads and things. Careers are important. We've been told we can do anything and we were doing it. And then all of a sudden it's taken away from you. And actually cancer becomes a full-time job because it is full-time. And when I look back, I'm angry that there was no support mechanism. If there wasn't for like the Cancer Society or Look Good, Feel Better. And you'd hope that you'd have a kind GP, but... I don't know about you. My GP is great, but I'd never used to go and see her because I was never sick. So I didn't have a relationship with her or a pharmacist. Yeah. Having been so independent and provided everything for myself to then be put on benefit, to get that insight that actually they don't pay enough benefit to cover the basics. I, I got, I think, by the time, I mean, I've got a child dependent. I had $70 a week to live on for food, utilities, travel, medicine, everything, once I'd paid my rent, because it's Auckland rent. And then people might say, oh, you could have moved house and moved somewhere cheaper, but my daughter was at school. Moving house, finding a place in Auckland to live when you're on benefit, 
and no income and you're sick. Also, how could I move house? And also taking my daughter out of school would be the worst thing in the world. So, yeah, I look back now and I'm, you're in survival mode, though, aren't you? You do whatever you need to do to get through, turn up at the appointments, you do what you need to. But now, looking back, I feel angry. I think anger is going to be quite a theme. <laughs> I think once you're through the survival stage, but since, I don't know if it's stages of grief because this anger thing seems to be lingering quite <laughs> some time yeah now that I'm, I'm I'm not worrying that I'm gonna die as much uh <laughs> uh yeah angry angry I think that I mean and it's so valid it's so damn valid and I have had that too that intense anger and for me a lot of it was about grief mm. and it was grieving the person that I was because she doesn't exist anymore um I mean parts of me do I've said to people that I don't know if you can relate to this where you look at photos of yourself before you went through cancer and you go who is that person do you find that your life is ruled BC yeah (laughs) AC yeah before cancer yeah yeah I look at photos and I don't know who I am and I you're right it's grief and it's a very lonely journey because you can't begin to explain to people that yeah I've had a child and I knew what it was like to be pregnant and that was a lonely situation and you grieve I think having a child and that life's not the same but this is a whole new ball game I mean nothing's the same and nobody can really understand and from an outside perspective oh you're alive and you're okay though aren't you you're okay I just nothing is the same anymore nothing absolutely and I want to go back to something you said before because I don't think people realize this about benefits because I, I had to go on the benefit as well and it's things like you can also get the disability benefit for medications and things, but they don't go, oh, okay, you need $50 a week for XYZ. They go, all right, you need this amount, so we're going to divide it over. So you might get an extra $3. Yeah. And they rely on you to do it. They go, how much do you think you'll need? I literally do not know anything. I've just been diagnosed I'm filling out these forms. I mean, it's it's almost surreal, isn't it? You're in the WINS office filling out these forms and they're looking at you with pity. But at the same time, you're thinking, why am I sat in a WINS office with security cards filling out forms to pay my bills? And that realisation that actually you don't have enough to live on. If you haven't got enough to deal with the fact that you are, you need to put your time and effort into being well, and still caring for dependents, the fact that you don't have a love to live on. Are we a progressive society? So it's awful that people had to create a GoFundMe page. Like I'm begging for money and my mother had to move in, come across from the other side of the world and move in. And I lived on her pension and I had to cash in my KiwiSaver, which was my deposit for a house, if ever I could get a house. But the only the only way I was going to be able to afford property, and that's what I lived on. And I am cross now. I'm so cross because I have no superannuation and no chance of, of ever owning a home because I have no deposit anymore. And I know that it's, it, you know, everyone goes, oh, ACC. And yeah, but if I'd had a rugby injury, I think I would, I would have had a lot more help. I'd have had help with my house, running the house, cleaning, tidying, help getting my child to school, all those things, which you don't get if you're getting cancer. 
I don't think people realise. I think there's a perception that when you get cancer, somehow people get a big payout. And it allows them then to choose what to pay that, to, what to do with that money. Yes, I got cancer, but me and the wife decided we were just going to holiday some more. Oh, yeah, well, yeah, definitely. But actually, <laughs> you haven't got enough to flip him, feed yourself and your family. It's insane, and I relate to that. I have to acknowledge that, and I was lucky I don't have kids. And so it was just me that I was fending for. And I I think back to that and I just take my hat off to any parent that has to parent as they're going through cancer because I couldn't have imagined having to do it. And I know that you just do, but I, I think that that needs to be acknowledged. But also cancer is stressful enough as it is. And when you have on top of that the financial burden – I, when you come out the other end and you're thinking about what now, I don't know about you, but I, and I'm curious to know what your experience was with this, but I went back to work too early because I didn't know how I was going to keep going. And it was really interesting because I found, I felt like people were, oh, you have to recover, you have to do this. And it's like, I can't, like I have no way to really pay my bills or get well because I don't have an income. Yeah, exactly the same. So I was very lucky. I feel very, very lucky to have found a new rental which I could afford on benefit. So when I was well enough, I did move. And and with the idea that if it comes back, I'm not going to be on the streets. But I had to move area and move school and everything. And that's fine. But it still was only $70 a week and I was getting into debt because you can't afford to provide for yourself and a child on 70 bucks. I mean, thank God I've got a job now. What's scary is that within, within a minute, within a diagnosis, that everything can change. And it's not just about your health and your relationships. The fact is you can lose everything. And I was very mindful of the fact that if it wasn't for my mother, my, my retired mother coming over here from the UK and helping me, I'd be in community housing. I'd be homeless. I'd be, I don't know, thinking oh, I'm going to lose my child, all of that stuff. And it just happened overnight. So if I went from earning good money, saving to having nothing. So I had to go back to work. I mean, I didn't have a choice. I was getting into debt. Absolutely. And... Oh, there's so many things there that I, I'm just nodding away to because I I relate to that a lot. A few years before I got cancer, I'd gone through a marriage breakdown and separation, divorce, and I hadn't financially <laughs> recovered from that. All my savings had gone and, and that sort of thing. And that was the first, one of the first times that I had really had insight into actually we are all a disaster mm. away mm. from yeah being in a tough situation and I feel like I am so lucky that I have people around me because I can see how people slip through the cracks absolutely and and that's never left me since then and and that's one of the things I try and convey to cancer muggles people that haven't been affected by cancer or actually any time around the dinner table or at the workplace where conversation turns to those people, those people on benefits or those people working. And I'm like, hey, that's a terrible 
perception to have that you that will never be you and that the people on benefits of a certain type of person it could be any any one of us it can change very quickly mm. i met women when i was going through treatment who were still working because they didn't have a choice that makes me angry now i'm quite cross about that i yeah i did too and i couldn't work like i i couldn't i had the thought of going i mean i was sick how can you work when you're sick and physically, we were lucky that we didn't have to, but we shouldn't have to. Sarah and I were talking before on the way over here, and I was saying that recently I sat in on a meeting with a colleague who has a concussion with an occupational therapist, and she was discussing some of my colleagues' symptoms and what he struggled with daily. And I was thinking, wow, that's that just sounds like someone who is either having chemo or what it was like for maybe the first two or three years after treatment finished. I would love to know this and I maybe I'll find it out whether there are occupational therapists that help people who have been through cancer because honestly what she was talking about was the forgetfulness, the tiredness, the headaches, the fatigue, the mood swings, mood swings all of that stuff and I was thinking wow, we really don't give ourselves enough credit for what we have to go back to when we're working after you've been through cancer and how different things are. It's even things like I used to go to the gym nearly every day Mm. and I couldn't even imagine being able to do that anymore after work. There's no after work. (laughs) There's no after work activities anymore. I finish work and I go home. One question I've got for you is, so when you were looking for work again, how did you broach the the gap in your CV? Because it's, it's, I remember talking to recruiters and going, what should I put? I'm desperate to get a job. I'm an older woman. It's going to be hard enough for me to get a job in the industry as it is. If they see cancer on my CV, oh, I'm not even going to get through to the the final list so I just left a gap and I pretended that I'd gone on to sabbatical <laughs> I don't even know what a sabbatical is I, this. I was thinking when you're saying this just tell them you went to write your memoir this is it just took time out I thought as a hard-working woman this was time for me and so I went on a sabbatical no actually I was lying in a hospital ward <laughs> but yeah so I just left it but the, the inner dialogue, of course, was like, oh, no, you need to put something on that CV because how are we going to normalise people working with cancer unless we speak up? But I didn't have the guts to, I didn't have the guts to do it because I was desperate for the job. So even though that might have changed some perceptions of recruiters, I wasn't going to lose a job over it. I was in an interesting position because the employer I had at the time were really good throughout my cancer treatment and then when I came back I just quickly realized that there's no way I could work full-time and that I just needed I think part of it was was it now reminded me of cancer Mm -hmm. as I was really really lucky that I was able to find a job that was I think it was 25 to 30 hours it was quite close to our house and my boss at the time, I feel like that job came to me at a time where I needed my confidence built up. And that job really helped that because I worked with this amazing woman 
shout out to Agnes <laughs> because she was just, she was so kind, but she really believed in me. And so that really helped. And then I, I discovered podcasting and had a moment where I was like, this is what I want to do. And so I've been freelancing with that. And so I think, sorry, that was a very roundabout way to say I didn't necessarily have a gap. Right, so you didn't have to cover it up I didn't somehow. have to cover it up, but I I have had gaps before. And, yeah, like how do you explain gaps? I mean, we're doing ourselves a disservice by not saying, yeah, I had cancer because isn't it a great story? I had cancer and I'm back now. And I've learned such a lot and I won't take any rubbish anymore and all that sort of stuff. Well, when, when the place I was working at when I gave my notice in and same day got told to go back for extra screening, it felt like they were quite happy that I gave them a notice in. I would not have expected any support from them at all. So I was very nervous about getting back into the industry. And, and I was lucky enough, the first job that I got last year, they were extremely kind but I was very vulnerable. And it's like, it's, I felt full of shame and vulnerability because I knew inside that I couldn't deliver to the level that I delivered before. And I was tired and I was sweating all the time. And just getting up in the morning and getting my child to school and getting into the workplace was exhausting. And then come sort of two o'clock in the afternoon, I could have gone for a sleep. I was losing it. If it hadn't been for such a kind group that I was working with, I would have left. And I don't know then if I could have recovered my confidence because I had no confidence. I mean, gosh, you're just sort of getting used to putting clothes on again because your body's different. Everything's different. Everything aches. You're tired beyond belief. You're sweating profusely. <laughs> And you're trying to be taken seriously. I remember just the interviews just going, oh my goodness me, I've got to have to wear things that don't show sweat and just talk about just talk about the weather. And mind brain fog. I mean, just this conversation we're having now, I'm forgetting halfway through a sentence what I was saying. I mean, you can't, you can't admit that, can you, in a job interview? I think you're potty because it fits. The thing is that I think being a female as well, an older female, with, see, I'm getting brain dead again. An older female with the side effects of treatment, it fits in that trope of mad old lady, that potty, crazy woman. But, you know, that's that whole thing that's been discussed at the moment, that women aren't hysterical. You know, this whole idea that they're... <laughs> anyway. I, I We're guess. angry, actually. Flipping <laughs> angry. angry. I just need to find a new channel for my anger, I tell you. You have to be really careful... I think you have to be mindful about where you go back to work and finding compassionate, supportive people is really important because you're not the person. I personally found that I'm no way the person I was before. I'm not the thinker. I'm not the doer. I haven't got the energy. But also, what is good about going back to the workplace is that I don't suffer fools anymore. I mean, I've towed the line working in a very male industry for so many years and now I'm like, oh, I could just flip a table and walk out of here and tell them all to go F themselves. I mean, I'm not going to, but, you know, I could and I wouldn't care. But anyway, I would because I'd lose my job, but, you know. I love that so much. And I think that is a, I mean, it's really challenging because sometimes we just have to have a job and, and that's it. 
but I agree that it is really important the environments we go back to. I was very lucky that I found a part-time job for a while. That it's was hard to find part-time jobs. So it is, hard it? to find. And still, it was financially really, really tough. But that's what I needed. And, yeah, trying to manage all of those things, the fatigue, the anger, and being just not being myself, not feeling myself. But I find, I kind of think COVID has helped in a way. Oh, it's been a gift in yeah. a way, hasn't it? For, yeah. For people like ourselves. Because we could work from home. Yeah. And we didn't have to get dressed. No. It's brilliant, isn't it? And you can have the fan on or the aircon on 18. <laughs> yeah. Nobody needs to see you sweating profusely. Started a new job six months ago and it's part of a big multinational. And the CEO came out last year and said he had cancer and that he was going to start a new initiative for working with cancer. And I wish I'd had that years ago. I mean, it's fantastic. It was massive multinational. I mean, they talk about one in two people getting cancer. Then it's something they should address because it's 50% of their employees. But it took for the CEO to have cancer and he spoke out about it, knowing that he had that privilege as being the boss to be able to talk about it. But he wanted to normalise discussions around cancer and working with cancer. And now they've brought in new policies to protect you in your job and to support you in extra sick leave and financial help, which is brilliant, isn't it? I think it could be one of the first ones. I think it's bigger than the industry. I think it's first across industries. It's the first time this has been done, but... Yeah, how brilliant. And there's forums that you can join. And I've joined this online community. I mean, an online work community of cancer people is not quite the communities that we have personally on Instagram and things like that. It will never be that. (laughs) Thank goodness for cancer communities, don't you think, online, on social ones. Absolutely. They still keep me sane. I still haven't left them. I haven't either. And I thought I would last year and then I realised how much I needed it. Yes. Yeah, And I think when you've had cancer, you probably had that decision of going, okay, I'm going to now ignore that I have had cancer to get on with. And that's a valid way of recovering, is going, I don't want anything to do with cancer. Or you keep part of the community, and and I still am, and and it's my saviour. 100% agree that you need that community, you need the people who get it. And I think as well being younger, we need that. I I mean, for myself, I haven't been able to have children and that has been really, really challenging. And actually, looping back to some of the stuff we were talking about before, about the collateral damage, really, of what cancer is. We were talking in the car before about how often people say, oh, but you're okay now. You're all right. That, I had that this, last, this week. Somebody saying, you're okay now, aren't you? Yeah. And, and you go, okay, what do I say? What do I say? Do I say, tell them the truth? Yeah. Do they have any appetite for the truth? Probably not. But what disservice am I doing by saying, yeah, everything's great now, especially in the workplace? I don't know. What do we do? Do we burn down the building or do we? I know, because I think my honest answer would be, oh, you're okay now. It's like, yeah, but I can't have children. I have chronic pain. I have nerve damage. I've put on quite a bit of weight. um, And so I feel quite self-conscious. I can't find brows that fit. My body no longer feels like mine. I am, I've lost a lot of friends. I, yeah, the list goes on and on and on. But I just (laughs) imagine like, 
we can't say that to people. No, they don't have appetite for that, do they? They don't want to listen to that. But you're okay now, aren't you? Oh, well, I'm going to be on treatment for the next whatever. Really? Yeah. Oh, okay. And then you become this, I don't know, want to be seen as vulnerable. I know, it's, it's a double-edged sword, isn't it? It's really hard, isn't it? Because I was thinking, because I have lymphedema and I am meant to wear my sleeve and glove every day and I do not because <laughs> I am a terrible patient. Part of it is is that I have real problems with sensory stuff and so if I feel too hot, it just I get really agitated and Auckland in the summer is just awful. I think part of it also is, especially with the glove because that's more noticeable, is that I don't want people to ask why I'm wearing it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's like a sign above your head, isn't it? So you've yeah. got this desire to reclaim your body, reclaim your career or reclaim your job, your earning power, yeah. your independence. But you don't want people to, to pity you. And also I think what you were just saying there made me think of this is that I feel like it's this navigation for us where – We've been through hell and we've been through this huge thing that people, unless you've been through it or you've seen someone go through it, you don't have that insight. And we want to be able and capable and all of those things. But you also want a bit of empathy that you're not the same. No. And that... Want it validated, don't you? Yeah. Part of me wants to, with my new new work people, I want to go, you should have seen me before the cancer. I was amazing. I'm a shadow of what I was, but yeah, I was once the biz. Yeah, it's hard, isn't it? I think there's limited tropes, there's limited stereotypes when it comes to cancer. You either have to be pitted and vulnerable or you have to be, look at me, I can now run a marathon and I live off green smoothies and I have a newfound love of life. And both of those tropes are really unhelpful. Oh, they absolutely are. And I think this is this is a really nice segue into managing work and managing your health and those sorts of things. Because I, and this really does feed into what it's like not having enough money, is that I've been thinking more and more recently how much wellness is for people with money. Yeah, and goop. It's yeah. Gwyneth Paltrow. Yeah. And it's, so when yeah. you when you have you don't have the money, but you have had cancer, and so all of a sudden everyone has an opinion, and there are all these ideas and all these kind of things about you should be eating this, you shouldn't be eating that, and I actually um, I got it builds the anger, doesn't it? Does yeah, it just adds the anger of going, oh yeah. my god, now you're looking at me, what I'm eating and what I'm drinking and how much exercise I'm taking. Like society has a point of view about my lifestyle now because mm, but you had the cancer, so you must have done something. Oh, and now you have to go back to work and be a productive member of society. It's like, I actually can't do it all. I, I mean, some of the stuff that I do to navigate it is I let go of having a really tidy home because if I don't have the energy, I don't have the energy. With I just the, don't have people around anymore. Oh, that too. <laughs> Because my house is such a mess. But yeah, I'm learning to, I think we've got to, we've got to relearn what is important and what isn't. But the thing is though, what society finds important, we, it has to be important for us sometimes, doesn't it? Like wearing clothes to work, wearing a bra to work. Oh my God, the wearing the clothes to work thing. Oh. And 
Sierra and I, I think we work in similar industries where, I mean, there are a lot of young people in my industry. There are older men, but not many older women. And I, yeah, I have struggled a bit going back. And I love, I've really enjoyed my work and I have lovely colleagues. I do feel really self-conscious about myself being a bigger woman. I have a prosthesis that doesn't match my other breasts, so I have lopsided boobs. Wear jumpsuits, right? This is what I've done. I used to be, hey, I am a career woman. I wear heels and I have beautiful clothes and blouses and dress up and, hey, look at me. Now I wear lots of jumpsuits and I wear statement necklaces. (laughs) Anything that has, that's billowy. And I only wear sneakers. I've given away all my heels because they're just, they're not practical. But I've yet to find my new thing. There's not a lot of role models, is there? It's like, but you know, I'm now the sort of plump, fun, jumpsuity, hey, I'm fun older lady rather than sexy lady. Not that. Yes. Oh my God. I just, uh, yeah, totally. I've still, still got it. What have I got then? Yeah, I'm fun. I'm, hey. <laughs> I've got a great sense of humour. <laughs> yeah, look at me. Great sense of humour and wear fun, bright clothing, like some sort of children's TV presenter. Me too. I have a thing at the moment for dresses that are really like bold patterns yeah. that make me look like a deranged. Liberian basically same I've got some massive glasses now like massive black glasses which look ridiculous they're almost as big as my head but I just want to say quirky I love that so much because that's what I do as well and it is that I just I want to wear clothes that are billowy and I just want a sack yeah I just want a sack that's what I wear this what I'm wearing now is a sack and I wear it all the time and I'm going to get it made in different colours anything billowy yeah Absolutely. But it's, I mean, it's really funny, isn't it? Because in my head, I think this shit shouldn't matter at all. But it it does. Like, once you go back into it, you want to be taken seriously. Yeah. You want to, you want to project yourself in, in a certain way. And, and I think, I know from, from my experience, that recovery after cancer, and because we had the pandemic and so much lockdown, I really lost myself. It's funny. Sorry, I feel like my brain's jumping around, but I... Welcome to my life. <laughs> my whole world is jumping around. Honestly, I I rarely get through a whole sentence. I never get through a whole sentence. In in meetings, I'm like, uh, mm, gosh, I can draw you what I'm trying to say. How about I do an interpretive dance? I'd rather do that any day. Yeah. It's such a personal journey, isn't it? Finding yourself again and going, oh, what do I do? What do I wear? How do I act in public again? What's my role within the team? Or even a bunch of, oh, I used to be the party girl or I used to be the provocateur or now I'm like, I don't know, who am I now? It's like a midlife crisis without the money in the sports car and the affair. Because no one's got any energy. No, <laughs> I have no energy. If I go out, look, Christmas party at work, it was a Thursday. I was sick for the Friday and the Monday. So four days because I stayed out late, 2.30 in the morning, which is amazing. But I paid for it for four days in bed. It's insane. And a nasty urine infection. It was just... <laughs> 
it was my own fault. It, it exacerbated the medication side effects. But it was worth it. Still, would I do it again? Probably not. <laughs> I love it so much. Four days in bed. But, you know, the thing is, that, that's life now, isn't it? So I work and I come home. I was saying to you in the car earlier, I'm still trying to work out. So I've been back at work now for a year. I'm still trying to work out how to feed myself and my child and wash clothes and get to work and back. So I got those food boxes and I made sure I got the offers so it was cheap enough. And I stopped them now because even they take too long. When you get home from work, you don't want to be chopping something for half an hour and none of the meals were getting made because I was just like too tired and I was getting Uber Eats, which is expensive. I just need something that I just heat up. You know what I think about when I say these things? Those people that go, oh, it doesn't take too long to put vegetables on. All these people eating unhealthy food. They can just grow some carrots. And it was just a load of bollocks. I, I tried to grow carrots when I was on benefit. And the many I could have, each carrot that actually grew were probably at like $10 each because the cost of growing it. I want to eat healthy, but I haven't got the energy to. I haven't worked it out yet because I have a very small window when I come back from work before I fall asleep. And in that time has to be washing, homework, more work for me, cooking, get a bed. Yeah, and it's the same for me. I mean, I don't have children, but I do have two very active dogs. Same, which, same thing. Same thing, same, same, but it different. Is, it is. We were talking before about, so I have just finished my second week back in to a full-time job for the first time in five years. How exciting. And yeah, it's, I mean, it's cool. And I had a lot of anxiety and I was worried and stuff, but I'm, I'm going okay. But I think back to before cancer and I think about, yeah, I went to the gym. I used to go out a lot during the week and I just don't know how, I just wouldn't be able to do any of that stuff. And then it makes me think that maybe I shouldn't have been doing that back then. Maybe what I was doing was actually too much and that my body couldn't cope with it. You see, I blame myself the same thing of going, I was working very long hours, I was probably drinking too much alcohol, I had a terrible relationship breakdown, which had been very stressful. I pretty much set myself up for getting cancer. And there'd be plenty of people in the world that would go, oh, yeah, you did. The body holds score. Yeah. <laughs> Even this morning... There was somebody in my social feed and it's going, yeah, positive thoughts help your immunity. <laughs> so last time we spoke, I was thinking, God, I had all this positivity of going, yes, and I love, I love it when the sun comes up and I worship the sun and every season that I'm alive and I see seeds growing and I think the world is wonderful and this is my new spirit. I think I was just trying to be positive and I think that no amount of positive thinking can't save you sometimes. It's okay to be angry and yeah. Do you know that's what I've actually learned in the past five years about positivity and about about processing our emotions is that it's actually not about being happy or grateful. That to, I, I think to get to that point of being grateful or being able to embrace the day you have to process the anger you have to acknowledge it's there and to stand in and go I'm really bloody angry that these things happen to me and I'm going to own that and I'm going to let it come out and then I think that's where the room opens up 
to be happy about other things. But if it, if we open it up, my fear is if I really feel the anger, then I wonder if I won't be able to hold down my job or keep on going <laughs> because it will, I'll just combust. Maybe you just need a nice hobby. Do you know what <laughs> I've just taken up? And I hate the fact that I've done this because it's such an old lady's thing to start a pottery classes, but I flipping love it. Sometimes after the four hours, I've created nothing, but just actually just having clay in my hands, I've gone, oh, that feels amazing. And I go back to the house and it's a Sunday night by then and, and everything's good in the world. So perhaps we should all do pottery classes or perhaps something creative. So what we learned, we've learned that it's okay not to do your housework. It's okay to get Uber Eats. It's okay to eat junk food if you're too tired to make a meal. It's okay to just heat something up in the microwave. It's okay that your kids' clothes aren't clean. It's okay that you haven't always overseen their homework. That's what I'm learning. It's okay if you don't monitor everything they're doing on social media. All those things that we're supposed to be doing. It's okay if... You don't look pristine at work, I think, or the way you used to. Just comfortable. Absolutely. Yes. And yes, okay. yes, yes. And it's okay if you're not eating a plant-based diet. If you don't want to eat kale, you don't have to. No. You do not. There is no requirement for but kale. That, but I think we should remind ourselves not to be sucked in by these brands and individuals making money out of our fear that we're not doing everything we can to to help our health absolutely and that, i mean that's a definitely a wider and more complex conversation but i think that's a really really good point is that there are so many factors to good health and that is in itself a, a subjective topic but all of those things you said are i think probably what i had needed to hear that it's okay it's like like if you can't cook and you just want to have a piece of toast, then that's fine. You'll feed yourself. That there's, there's so much pressure on us as it is that if you can find ways to relieve it, if you can find ways to let go of the need of perfection in an area of your life and that makes you a lot happier and less stressed, then do it. Yeah. I said, don't worry what goes in my child's lunchbox anymore. Don't care what the mummy mafia think about it. Absolutely. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for sitting down with me and sharing your experience. With going back to work, I feel like this conversation is something that so many people are going to resonate with and need to hear maybe before they go back to work after treatment. So thank you so much. I'm hoping that in the future, everyone can put on their CV, I had cancer and then go back into the workplace and not feel that they've got to either be shameful or make up for any vulnerability. Yeah. Who knows? Perhaps in five years' time. Yeah, we can sit down and have this conversation again and we'll be like, isn't it amazing how much things have changed? I would like that. Same. Thanks so much for joining me. 
Next week is the last episode in this series, but I will be back with six more episodes. You can expect a conversation with a sexologist about how we regain our sense of identity and our sexuality and intimacy after a cancer diagnosis. I'll be talking to a person who has lived with incurable cancer for the past decade. I'll also be talking to a trauma expert about how we can grow after a traumatic event. If there's a topic you want me to cover, get in touch. Come say hi on Instagram at the C word underscore radio. Tell me if there's something or someone you'd like me to talk to in the next series. But next week, I'm joined by somatic exercise coach Camille Feruzzi. She is also a cancer survivor, and she is going to tell us why the wellness industry sucks and how as cancer survivors or people who have been impacted by cancer, we can navigate the often confusing world of wellness and post-cancer advice. So join me next time for that conversation.